Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. What's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? So good to see you. You doing one person's doing fantastic. Everybody else. This is what I want you to do. Take your left hand and turn it over like this. Take your right hand, these two fingers, and put it right there. And just check, just to be sure. Just to be sure. If you don't feel anything, that's a sign. Come forward for prayer right now. Um, How's everybody doing today? Yes. So, so glad that you guys are here. Um, Before we jump into today's message, I just want to say, once again, I I sent out an email, put some stuff out on social, but just to be sure that I cover everybody, thank you all so much for the way that you celebrated um, my my two-year anniversary with me and Sarah and our kids um, last week, uh, turning over two years as the lead pastor of Christ Walk. All of your your notes and letters and cards and, and the gifts that were given, thank you guys so much. Like, we feel... So, so appreciated. Um, I can't wait till next year. I'm so excited. Like, it was so awesome. Um, but we got, we got a lot to get through before that. But thank you guys so much for the way that you loved on us and just cared for our family. Um, it is truly an honor to be the pastor here at Christ Walk, and I'm excited about year number three. So let's jump into year number three um, now together. If you've got your Bible or you've got a smart device, um, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Old Testament, actually to the very first book in the Old Testament. That's Genesis. And um, it's the first book in the Old Testament. And Genesis also means beginning. So it's apt that they would put it right there at um, at the beginning up front. And we're going to be in chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17. And so we're going to land there in just a minute. Um, today we're in part two of a series that we're calling Confessions of a Church Pastor. And it's all based on a passage from Paul's letter to, uh, to the Colossians. And in chapter one, verses nine through 14 of that letter, Paul writes this. This is out of the Passion Translation. It says, since we first heard about you, We've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives, making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in everything that you do. Then you'll become fruit-bearing branches, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And we pray that you would be energized with all of his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. So as I 
made note of last week when we kicked off this series, several months ago in my daily devotions, I came across that passage and was reading through Colossians and, and, and those verses just kind of jumped off the page at me. I jotted them down in the back of my journal and um, I'd been processing them for several months and here recently have even begun to pray the promises and the blessings of that passage, not just over my life and the life of my family, but over your lives as well. In fact, in my office, on the back of my office door, I have a little um, like a prayer request center or whatever, a marker board and some sticky notes and everything. And and the principles and promises of these verses are written there on that marker board. And every day when I go to pray, I'm praying those things and believing them for me and for you as well. And so this series is all about me sharing my heart with you that the the same thing that the Apostle Paul wanted for the church uh, in in Colossae, that that that's what I want for you as well. And these, these principles and these promises I I want us together to figure out how we can make them a reality in our own lives. And last week at the beginning of this series, um, we talked about uh, uh, knowing God's will for our lives. And together we discovered that God's will is for us to be holy because holiness is the key that unlocks the door to his presence. And anytime we are in his presence, We are also in his will. So that was the first thing that Paul prayed for and believed for the people in the Colossian church. And so I'm believing that for you as well. And so we're gonna move on to the second one today. And for the next few minutes in the time that I have left, I wanna talk to you about walking in righteousness, walking in righteousness. We we have this, this ornament that is on our Christmas tree um, that gets put out every, every year. And uh, um, it's a very special ornament because it's actually, it's a picture of me um, in, that's why it's so special. That's not what I meant. You took that the wrong way. It's a picture of me in 1987. And um, I, was, I was six years old. And uh, one, of, one of the reasons that this particular ornament has become so special is, is not only did I make it when I was six, but um, for the longest time when my son Luke was younger, he would look at it and he would go, like, turn it over onto the back and it said December 1987. And for the longest time, he was convinced that his mother and I were lying to him and that he had been alive since 1987. <laughs> And that he's some sort of like in a Marty McFly back to the future situation. He's constantly looking for the DeLorean with the flux capacitor that's parked in our driveway. Um, and we're like, no, son, like that's, that's daddy. That's not you. And he was like dead set convinced. No, that is me. Because when you look at that picture of me when I was six years old at the time, it looked like Luke. Luke resembled me because I am his father, Right. And then now that he's gotten older, this, this may, he, he's now a teenager, he just turned 14 years old. This may come as a surprise to a number of you, but from time to time, we tend to butt heads, right? I know that that's, that's a shock. Like. And anytime that happens, and he's, he's driven me to the point, like right where I'm, I'm just this side of losing my salvation. You know what I'm talking about? Moms and dads in the room, can I get a witness? Sarah will look over at me and she'll say, he acts just like you. (laughs) 
to remind me that like the thing I'm getting upset with him about is the very same way that I act. And the reason is so is because I'm his father and he is exactly like me. So Luke, take a good look, buddy. 25 years from now, this is what you got to look forward to. I'm sure there'll be a line of ladies after, after church to get your cell phone number. This is what Paul is getting at in, in this passage when he talks about walking in righteousness. What he's saying is that you and I, we should resemble our heavenly father. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to walk in righteousness that, that we talked about. We talked about last week, like God said, you need to be holy because I am holy. That, that we should, in the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we think, talk, everything that we do, that we should resemble our heavenly father. But there is a problem when it comes to us living this way. The problem is that even though we were made in the image of God, we came into this world underneath a sinful nature. The nature that we were born into, it is contrary to the things of God. And so walking in righteousness is something that is often way easier said than it is to do. But the good news is the Bible gives us several examples of how you and I might be able to pull this off through the lives of, of how some of these, these patriarchs and these heroes of the Bible, how, how they lived. And, and, and one of the prime examples of what it means to walk in righteousness is found all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis when we are introduced to a man by the name of Abram. And Abram's story, even though I had you turn to Genesis 17, Abram's story really starts in Genesis 12. And in verses one through three of Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And this is the calling of Abraham where the Lord out of nowhere begins to speak to this guy in the Middle East, just taps him on the shoulder and begins talking to him and says, I've got great plans for you, but in order for you to fulfill those plans, I need you to get up and move away from your hometown. And Abram's like, well, where am I going? And the Lord just says, well, you'll know when you get there, Right? See, if what we need to understand off the bat is, is that following after God and pursuing righteousness, it is going to cost us something. And right up front, it cost Abram his comfort. That God comes to him and he says, I've got great things in store for you, but in order for you to step into them, in order for you to see them be realized in your life, you're gonna have to pick up and leave everything that you have ever known and you're gonna have to move out and go to a new place. And not only that, but he was gonna have to go to a place that he didn't even know where the destination was. That all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just hears this voice talking to him. 
And Abram has a choice to make. Do I want to pay the price or do I want to stay here where it's comfortable? If you and I are going to be people that walk in righteousness, you need to know right up front, it is going to cost you something. Now, you may not have to leave your hometown, but it's gonna cost you. you. You may have to leave a person behind. You may have to have to leave an activity behind. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a financial status. Or There's going to be something that you are going to have to leave behind in order to step into and become the person that God is calling for you to be. Our pursuit of righteousness is going to cost us and it starts with our comfort. Then Abram's story continues and we pick it up in Genesis 15 where at the beginning of that chapter, it says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will end up being my heir. And then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord. Genesis 15, verse six. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Our faith is what counts us as righteous and our righteousness is what keeps us underneath the covenant of the Lord. And so maybe put a different way is that we are counted as righteous through our belief, but we continue as righteous through our behavior. In other words, if we believe it, then we better act like we believe it. And so if we've been counted as righteous by God, then, then something happens. We've been set apart. And so we need to live differently. Abram could not be counted as righteous and stay in his hometown. He was counted as righteous because he believed the Lord and he got up and moved, even going to a destination that he did not know what it was going to be. But there was a time when, when even this fell short for Abram because he was getting on up in years and, and at the ripe old age of 86, he thought he needed to take matters into his own hands because God simply wasn't moving fast enough. And even though Abram originally, initially believed God's promise, God, you're taking too long is what Abram started to think. This is never going to happen. So, so now I have to take action. And so Abram steps in and, and with his wife, uh, Sarah, he, he, he plots a scheme and um, he goes and he has a child with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. They named him Ishmael. So Abram takes this into his own hands and then all of a sudden, God stops talking to Abram. God stops talking to Abram. For 13 years, God remains 
silent because Abram decided to take control of the situation. And so what you and I need to understand and and what we can glean from Abram's story is that, that following God and pursuing after righteousness, not only are we going to have to give up our comfort, but we're also going to have to give up our control. Because Abram was in a position, he was saying, God, if you'll just stay over there, I got this, right? How many times have we done that? God, if you'll just let me, God, if if you'll just let me have it my way, if you'll just let me do it the way that, that I can see that it needs to be done, and we end up making a big mess of everything. And God's saying, no, if you're gonna pursue after me, then you've got to relinquish not only your comfort, but you've also got to relinquish your control. See, we can't put our hand to things. Instead, we have to trust God for the outcome and simply have faith in the word that he has declared over our lives. Our responsibility is just obedience. God's responsibility is the outcome. And so when we're pursuing after righteousness, we just need to be obedient to the word of the Lord and let him take care of everything else. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves in in a situation like Abram where the Lord didn't speak to him for 13 years. Imagine that. You've, you've uprooted your, your family, all of your, all of your servants, your, your whole household. You've moved away from your homeland where, where you were a big fish in a small pond and, and you were in the lap of luxury, full of comfort. You've moved away from that and you're traveling to a place that you don't even know where the final destination is. And all of a sudden, the source of all of that just goes quiet and you're in the dark because you messed up because you tried to control things. You tried to dictate the outcome. But I'm so glad that even in the midst of those kinds of situations in our life, we serve a God of redemption. And 13 years goes by, and then all of a sudden, God speaks to Abram once again. And we pick up in Genesis 17, starting with verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully, everybody say faithfully, and live a blameless, everybody say blameless, life. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Verse two, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse five, what's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. Verse seven, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. So after 13 years of silence, God shows back up on the scene. He taps Abram on the shoulder 
And he reminds Abram of who he is, of who God is. And God says, hey, bro. This is the Blake Snap translation. (laughs) Hey, bro, I don't need your help. I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. Like what you thought wasn't possible at 86, guess what? We're 13 years now longer. My commitment to the covenant, it remains the same. The the thing that I told you before, it's going to continue to happen, but I don't need your help. And so I've waited and waited and waited until things are ridiculous, till the only person that's gonna get the glory from this is me. I don't need you to put your hand to this. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, God All-Powerful. So just sit back and watch as I operate. The only thing I need you to do is to serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. That's your part. You let me handle the rest. You just serve faithfully and live a blameless life. And, and when we look back at the original language in the Hebrew, that, that word blameless, what it, what it literally means, it literally translates to a Hebrew word that means perfect. And what it's talking about is, is it's the, the, the true definition, it's this idea of being single-hearted sincere, wholly devoted. What it is, is it's a call to integrity. It's what God is saying. He's calling him to integrity. And see, before this, Abram, he, he, was, he was previously divided between his desires and God's. Abram was hung up on the fact that he didn't have a son, just one. God was trying to get him to see that he wanted him to become a father of many nations. That's way more than one even in my very simple math. Abram was so hung up on this over here that that he wanted to take hold of it. He he didn't want to relinquish the comfort and the control of, of this desire of his life so that he could step into the promises that God had for him that was so much more than his initial desire. And so God reminds Abram of who he is. He says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty, all-powerful. I got this. And then he tells Abram who he's going to become. See, Abram desired a son, one. And Abram literally means exalted father. Abram thought that his value, his identity in this earth was tied to the fact that he did not have a son, an heir, just one. But God said, don't you see? You're no longer gonna be Abram, the exalted father. Instead, you're going to be Abraham, which means father of the multitude. See, Abram was about him. He was saying, I don't have a son. Abraham was about his legacy. It was about what God was going to do through him, not just have one son, but that God wanted to use him to be the father of many nations. And if you and I will be willing to let go of our comfort, if we'll be willing to let go of our control, God will show up in our lives. If we'll just pursue him and pursue righteousness, if we'll just be faithful to the call and live blameless before him, he will show up and he will do something so much bigger than you and I ever thought possible. That one thing that we thought we want, God is going to multiply to do so much more. But that thing, it's 
It's not going to be about us. It's always going to be about him and what he wants to accomplish in and through us. So God reminds Abram, I'm El Shaddai, God Almighty. I got this. And you're no longer going to be Abram, the exalted father. Instead, I'm transforming you into Abraham, the father of the multitudes. And this is going to be about a legacy that I'm going to establish through you. And I'm gonna give you this land and I'm gonna be your God forever and ever and ever. This is my covenant. We continue in verse nine of Genesis 17. It says, then God said to Abraham, your responsibility, in other words, this is the, the, the first eight verses, this is what God is saying I'm going to do. And then God tells Abraham, he begins to tell him, this is what you're going to do. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Verse 11, you must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. And from generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign born servants whom you have purchased and all must be circumcised, then your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Verse 14, any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. And as I was preparing for this message and God said, I want you to go to Genesis 17. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I said, Okay, I'm gonna stop at verse eight. He was like, nope, you need to go all the way to 14. God, are you sure? Yep. You want me to talk about that? Yep, I want you to talk about circumcision. So I realize it's awkward, but you, don't, you can't blame me. You can blame him, all right? And, and as I'm reading this, I'm imagining, like I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of 99-year-old Abraham, and he hears from the Lord after 13 years of silence. And he goes back to his people and he calls a family meeting. Brings everybody together. He's like, everyone, I have great news. I've heard from the Lord and he's established a new covenant with us. And they go, what's that big knife for? <laughs> and he said... God's going to give us the land of Canaan. And they're like, yeah, that's great, but what's that knife for, bro? <laughs> and he's like, and we're going to become a multitude of nations and kings will come for our, from our lineage. And they're like, dude, we get it, but what is the knife for? And he said, did I mention that God changed my name? <laughs> yeah, okay, but, but what's the knife for? Well, if you'd step right over here into my office. <laughs> See, a covenant, it's an agreement between two or more persons to either do or not do something that is specified. 
And I got to wondering, I, I got to thinking like, out of all the things that God could have chosen, why in the world, and all the men in the room are saying amen right now, why in the world is this what he would have chosen as a sign of his covenant with us? I got to thinking about it, and you know, I, I really think that I've, I've kind of narrowed it down to maybe four reasons. The first one is that a covenant with God should be sacred. And sacred means regarded with reverence, dedicated or devoted, consecrated, set apart. It's uncommon in nature, all right? And so it's a way of, uh, when, when something is sacred, it is, it is set apart, it's identified for a special purpose. There, there is a mark upon its life or upon its existence. And so the covenant through circumcision, it was sacred. It was also serious. God's covenant, a relationship, the relationship that you and I have with our heavenly father, it is not something to be taken lightly. This is something that once you step into, it is always going to be there. And I think a lot of the problem with our society today and with, with the Christian church is that we, we don't take our relationship with the Lord as serious as we need to. And we think we can be one foot in and one foot out and that, that we can jump into it when it's comfortable and convenient for us, but then we can jump out of it when it doesn't fit our need or when, when, it's, when, it's, not, when it's not helping us to, 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 to feel good about ourselves or giving us what we want and, and we go back and forth and we teeter-totter and we're, we're fickle and we're in one day and we're out one day and it was never meant to be that way. It was meant to be something serious and, and I don't know about you, but this was serious. So it's sacred, it's serious, it's also sensitive. Our relationship with God and the covenant agreement that we have with him. It's something to be handled with a great deal of care. There should be attention to detail. If you know what I'm saying. A lot of us, we don't handle our relationship with God with the kind of care and esteem, with the attention to detail that it deserves. We take it lightly. We don't treat it with reverence and with respect. And it's just, we're loud and we're boisterous and it's all about me, me, me and what I want, what I can get out of it. God's saying, no, there's so much more here, but you gotta take some time. You gotta slow down. You gotta listen. You gotta be quiet. You gotta pay attention to the details because this is something that's sensitive. Sacred, it's serious, it's sensitive, it's sacrificial. How dare we think how dare we think that we can step into a relationship with God and that he be the only one that have to sacrifice, that he be the only one that has to give anything up, that it's all on him. No, a covenant is between two individuals. We come together with him 
and there is sacrifice, that means we can't be the same person that we used to be once upon a time. When we step underneath the covenant of God most high, something has to change. A sacrifice has to take place. And it's not just on the back of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility as well. And so if our faith, like Abram, Abraham, if our faith is what counts us as righteous, circumcision then is the sign and the seal of our commitment to righteousness and our desire to remain under the covenant. What we're saying is, is that because we're willing to go through this act of circumcision, that we are serious about our relationship with the Lord and that, that we, we're not taking it lightly and that we are committed not just today, but over the long term. And so circumcision, it's not the substance of our surrender, but it's the symbol of our surrender. It's the proof. It shows that we are surrendered unto God. But over the years, the Jewish people, they began to make this out to be something other than what it was meant to be. And we get all the way into the early church where now the, the, the message of Jesus is now going out into the existing world. And so it's spilling over from the realm of the Jews into the Gentiles and the Jews get all upset. And so they call another meeting and, and they're getting all fired up about it. And in Acts 15 verse five, it says, but then some of the believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. And so what happened is, and, and, and the way that, the way that um, uh, we can maybe translate it into modern day terms is the way that they were looking at it is, is, is they were looking at the, it, it was this tug of war between the outward ritual and the inward reality of what was taking place. And it's the same way that many of us, we look at things like water baptism or the Lord's Supper or church membership or, or attendance. And, and we treat that as if it's circumcision, as if that is the thing that ties us to our salvation in Jesus. Well, I said a prayer once upon a time. Well, I got baptized in water once upon a time. Well, when they have communion and they put the little cups of juice and the wafers up front, I go and partake of it. Well, every Sunday when the door of the church is open, I'm there. So therefore I'm qualified. Therefore I'm I'm living in righteousness and that's simply not the case because we can participate in all of those things. We can have done all of those things, but if the, if the outward ritual hasn't translated into an inward reality, then what's the point? All of those things are worthless. If there hasn't been a change of heart to take place, then none of that stuff matters. And so what what the Lord was trying to communicate to, to Abraham and, and, then, and then we fast forward to the New Testament and what Jesus was trying to communicate to the people of, of the, the New Testament and the early churches is that, that this, this circumcision thing, it's not an option, it's an obligation. That if we're gonna step into faith in Jesus, if, if we're gonna surrender our lives to the Lord, then, then we can't tippy-toe around. Like there, there is no option over here. We are obligated to be circumcised, is what he's saying. 
And that's why the rule was for the Jewish community that on the eighth day, those newborn babies, that they would be circumcised. Now, last time I checked, an eight-day-old baby didn't have a choice, didn't have a say in the matter, right? Like, it's just there. And you're deciding for it. But the reason that it was to be done then is because, remember, God wasn't concerned with just giving Abraham a son. He was concerned with giving him a legacy. And it's all about the legacy, parents, that you and I are passing down to our children, And so it starts when they're eight days old and then we have to wait until they get old enough to know it and to understand it and to begin to live it out on their own. And so it's our responsibility to raise up sons and daughters underneath us that that we are not the exalted father. We are the fathers. We are the mothers of the multitudes that we're raising up sons and daughters underneath us and that we have to model it in front of them and that they see that this isn't just an outward ritual that we go through, but that our hearts and our lives have been changed and that you and I, when we step into faith in Jesus Christ, not only have we been counted as righteous, but we are pursuing it in the way that we live and that a transformation has taken place and we are different and that our sons and daughters coming up behind us that they understand and they see the difference they see mom and dad behind closed doors living lives of faithfulness and blamelessness before the father so that they too will follow in mom and dad's footsteps that we create the kind of legacy that perpetuates the very thing that God established under the old covenant with Abraham and that continues through the new covenant that you and I are under today. See, the truth is, is that we can be marked with the sign, but if we don't choose to live beneath the surrender, then it doesn't make a difference. And so when we, when we fast forward from the Old Testament covenant and we look at things through the lens of the New Testament and what Jesus came to do, what he's talking about is not a circumcision, but a circumcision. A circumcision of the heart. In Colossians 2 verse 11, Paul writes, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not through a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. See, circumcision is not the source of our salvation. That's Jesus. Jesus is the source. So we aren't circumcised in order to become saved. We are circumcised because we are saved. And this points all the way back to the initial covenant where God told Abraham, serve me faithfully and live a blameless, single-hearted life. Single-hearted, undivided, yielded to one and one only. See, faith in Christ leads us to a circumcision of the heart, which requires the cutting away of anything that is not him. It's what David was saying in the Psalms when he said, search me and know me, cleanse me. God, if there be any wicked way in me, cut it away so that only you remain. 
Salvation, yes, it's a free gift, but it's gonna cost you and me everything that we have and nothing less. Salvation is a free gift, but it will cost you and me everything and nothing less. It's what cost Paul to write Philippians chapter three, verses five through 11, where he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the, the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. And you're thinking when you read that, you're thinking, well, you know, Paul's awful braggadocious there, right? What a jerk. He's talking about how much better he is than everyone else because he's been circumcised and because of where he's from and because of what he did and because of the things that he knows and on and on and on. But he continues in verse seven. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. I no longer, what he's saying is, I no longer count on the fact that I've been physically circumcised, that I bear in the mark, the the sign, the symbol of the covenant. Instead, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience resurrection from the dead. See, what Paul is saying is that that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, anything that we could do here in this physical realm, it pales in comparison to what Christ has already done for us. It's all worthless. Any kind of earthly accolades, any kind of selfish glory or gain, it, it counts as nothing in comparison to what Christ has done through the work of the cross. And so what Paul is saying is that my drive, my desire, my pursuit of righteousness is to know God and to experience his power to share and experience the suffering of his death so that I can experience life everlasting. See, Paul realized that the things of this world, it is fleeting, it is vain, and it is leading us to death. But then when we step into faith in Christ and we pursue righteousness, that this world one day is going to pass away, but you and I are going to grab hold of that which is going to last forever and ever and ever. This life that we are living here on this earth, it will one day end in death. But those of us who have decided to be circumcised in our heart and to pursue Jesus and him alone to be single-hearted in our approach. We are going to step into true life everlasting and reign and rule with our Father forever and ever and ever. That is what it means to be righteous, to know Christ, to experience his power, to share in his suffering and his death so that we might experience the resurrection.
of life everlasting. So the question is, we'll accept the supply of the covenant, but will we accept the sacrifice? That's the question. We will readily accept the supply of the covenant, God's blessings that he wants to dispense on us, but will we accept the sacrifice, the circumcision of our hearts, the cutting away, the things that are potentially painful for us? Life altering, will we accept that sacrifice as well? The answer is yes for you today. I I want you to know that it all starts by stepping into a relationship with Jesus. That's the first step to circumcision of the heart. It's to relinquish your comfort, relinquish your control and put it in his hands. And you can do that this morning by admitting that you're a sinner, believing on Jesus and choosing to follow his way every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you here today and you say, Pastor Blake, I'm ready. I'm ready to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ to once and for all put that old way of life behind me, to step under the covenant of grace, to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to have my sins forgiven so that I can live for him. If that's you, would you just make that known? to your heavenly father this morning just by just stick your hand up you can just put it up and put it right back down just real quick is there anyone else anyone else that's you here today whether you raised your hand or not would would you pray this prayer along with me it's going to be on the screen here behind me if you need it would you pray this with me heavenly father I admit that I'm a sinner that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus, his way for the rest of my life. Amen. The choice is ours today. We can remain in our comfort. We can hold on with our control we can step out in faith and surrender everything and nothing less to the Father. By doing that, what we're saying is, God, cut away any part of me that is not surrendered to you so that I might resemble you in the process. That's what it means to be a person who walks in righteousness that when people look at our life, they would say, you look like your dad. You resemble your father. That's what it's all about today. If that's you, maybe you need to reconfirm your commitment to the covenant of Christ today. Maybe you need to repent this morning for how you've strayed away from it just a moment, the band's going to lead us in worship. If that's you, I'd invite you to sing this song and these words 
as a prayer of either repentance or commitment. And if you're here this morning and you've got a special or particular prayer need that you'd like to receive prayer for, these altars are open. I'll be down front. Others will be here with me. Step in and lay hands on you and pray for you if that's something that you need this morning. So can we just stand all over this house, prepare our hearts for worship. Let's go to the Lord together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.